Today is our second message in our series in the book of Philippians that we began last week. Philippians is a short letter in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote to these folks in the city of Philippi. It's a Mediterranean city. And he really loved these guys. They have a special relationship. If you read the book, you just see the love coming through what he was writing. And so he's writing them this letter to encourage them. And it's become known as the letter of joy or the book of the Bible that's all about joy. It's very short, just four chapters, and we're encouraging folks to read it. Today we're going to look at chapter 2, next week chapter 3, and then the final week. You guys are smart. I'm just trying to see if you're with me here. Two, three, four, exactly. And so if you haven't had a chance to read Philippians, pick it up and read it. It's such a great little short letter, but so full of powerful stuff. Well, today, as we continue in our series, we want to look at our definition of joy. Last week, we tried to define joy, and these things are not easy. Define love, you know, peace, joy, these things that are so important. They're not easy to define, but it's helpful to do so. So here's our best shot at defining joy. Let me read it for us. A positive state of mind that goes deeper than the emotions, though it is emotional. Let's pause there. Joy has an emotional expression, but it's not primarily an emotion. Having joy should affect our emotions, okay? It has that emotional element, but it's deeper than our emotions. So that's why we say it goes deeper than emotions. Let me read on. It's unaffected by circumstances, and it's rooted in a strong belief in God's reliability. So we can be happy about stuff and about things in life, and that's cool to re- it's, you know, celebrate good stuff. But as a believer, as somebody with a relationship with God through Christ Jesus, I can have something deeper than that. I can have joy that no matter what my circumstances are, I'm not suicidally depressed. Okay, I can be disappointed in life, but I like to say like this, here's this emotional range, and for the believer who understands God has joy for us, I don't go any deeper than disappointment. I don't go to suicidal despair and total give up and whatever, because the Holy Spirit's in my life, and there's something different. There's this joy, and as a matter of fact, that joy can take that sadness and depression that I'm struggling with and fix it and affect it. There's a great scripture that says he turns our sorrows into joy. And so that's why we're looking at joy. And so it is so important that we have a scripture here that's really strong about it. Let's look at this scripture. We're going to jump ahead to the last chapter 4 just to pull this scripture forward because it's so important. Chapter 4, verse 4, Paul said this, Be full of joy in the Lord always. Command. It's not a suggestion. Be, and not just a little bit joyous, be full of joy of joy in the Lord always. And then this is very unusual in Scripture. Very rarely do we have God saying, hey, do this. Now, if you didn't get it, do this. But that's what we have here about joy. Be full of the Lord and the joy always. I will say again, be full of joy. So guys, joy is a big deal. Joy is a big deal. It's a command from God. Now, remember, we, Chad talked about this last week in the opening of this series. Paul is in jail right now. He is a prisoner. He's probably chained to a guard 24-7, and he's writing about joy? It doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense. That's just true. It doesn't make sense to have joy, but we can despite our circumstances. So why is it such a big deal? Here's one of the reasons it's such a big deal. In the Old Testament, we have the story of the nation of Israel got deported, and now they're coming back to rebuild their nation and rebuild the walls around the city. 
And so they're trying to build the walls, but local enemies are coming and harassing them and threatening them. And their prophet, Nehemiah, is encouraging them, guys, it's okay, just keep, keep working. And it was so dangerous, they literally had a trowel in one hand where they were laying the bricks, you know, and putting the cement on it, the mortar. They had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other because the bad guys could attack at any moment. So this is the stress they're under. And Nehemiah says, don't get discouraged, don't, don't give up. And then he gives us this awesome phrase in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 10. This sitting in your notes. You might jot it down if you're a note taker. Look what Nehemiah said to him. Guys, don't give up because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Say that word. Say strength. Strength. Oh, you said it good. It's manly strength. That's what joy is to us. As we walk in God's joy, it brings strength to us on every area of our life. Emotional, mental, even physical strength comes to it. Joy affects even your health. Thousands of years ago, before anybody knew the word endorphins, God knew it. And we have it in the Bible in operation. Let me show you a book, a scripture from the book of Proverbs written at least 3,000 years ago. Okay, Proverbs chapter 17 verse 22 says this. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. A joyful heart is good medicine, and it's literally talking about physical health here. Thousands of years before we knew what endorphins do, God is saying, joy literally affects your health and your strength. It brings energy and strength to us. To put it negatively, think about this. Depressed soldiers don't win many battles. Depressed soldiers don't win many battles. Think of athletes before a big game. Are they sitting there thinking, we got to do this thing? Let's get them, boys. And the coach is like, all right, I know you're tired, hurt, and injured, and it's been a long, tough week, but you can still win. That's not what they do. Of course, they get all hyped up and excited. And what's happening? It's actually affecting their energy level. They're getting their energy up physically, just hyping up a little bit. Well, that's a, you know, kind of a light thing, but that's in the ballpark of what we're talking about, that God's joy isn't something we manufacture, but it can be like a deep, deep well underwater, under, underwater, underground, and sends water to the surface, bringing refreshment to those around it on the surface. But it's because it's down deep. It comes up, and it's cold and refreshing. Let me, let me flip this coin over because we want to be really strong here saying that joy shouldn't be an option. One guy said it like this, it's time to get serious about joy. <laughs> God commands it because it's so important and we need it so bad. But here, here's the cool thing. God never commands us something that he doesn't empower us to do it. When he commands, he empowers. We're going to look at this a little bit more later in the scripture in this uh, chapter of Philippians. This week, uh, last week, my wife and I did something we have not done in at least 30 years. We, we thought and thought, when is the last time we did this? Well, we can't even remember. So it's been at least 30 years since we did this. We were not in our home church on Mother's Day. I mean, I've been in ministry a long time, and we've been church guys forever. But last weekend was different. We weren't with you guys because my son Michael and my daughter Rachel, who live out of town, said, hey, let's get together for Mother's Day. And so we went up to Austin. My son Michael lives there in Austin, and my daughter Rachel's in Waco. She had just been out of town on a business trip, but she came in late Friday night. And then Saturday morning, she drove to Austin just to hang out with us for a few hours before she had to go back to Waco. And then we spent the rest of the weekend in Austin with Michael. But let me show you a couple pics. Here's Lori and her mom. Lori and her mom. Lori and her daughter. (laughs) 
Now, my wife is the one on the right. I know they both look 21, but she's the one on the right, okay? I scored some points there, didn't I? Would that be good? Yeah, yeah. I make taking it every opportunity I can. So that's Rachel. She came down for breakfast Saturday morning. Okay, next pick, please. And this is my son, Michael, and the Austin skyline behind them. And we're outside the theater. We went to the ballet. I tried to get a little cultured. And uh, I love this picture here because Lori's got her ballet ticket. See that? Man, she is ready to go. And we just had a great time. And it was a super weekend. It felt funny not being in church. We found a cool church in Austin that my son attends. So if you ever move there and know somebody there, we could recommend a church. Here's the thing for me, though, personally. As much as you see Lori smiling in these pictures, seeing much joy, I think maybe I had even more joy watching her rejoice. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a joy beyond ourselves, a joy that's focused really not on us, but on others. So here we go. Chapter 2 of Philippians starts like this. Paul's talking to his dear friends, okay? And he's wanting to encourage them. So listen to what he says. Does your life in Christ give you strength? Does His love comfort you? Do we share together in the Spirit? Do you have mercy and kindness? If so, make me very happy. That root word there means extremely joyous. Not just, oh boy, but big time. Make me very happy by having the same thoughts, sharing the same love, and having one mind and purpose. Paul is saying, man, I love you guys, and we have a great friendship, and you, you guys have it going on. You're, you're a great church family, and you're growing, and you're walking with God, and you're serving each other and loving each other, and he gives us details. Are you letting God's comfort uh, operate in your lives? Are you living in God's strength? And then he makes this point, as you do this, it'll give me great joy. He's saying, my joy is the fullest when I see you experiencing God's will for your life, God's best in your life. So Paul is giving us an example of what we're talking about, a joy outside ourselves. Now, each week, we're going to look at a couple different things, some joy killers and then a key to joy, okay? So let's look at some joy killers for this week. In the very next verse, Paul gives them some warning about watching out for things that can kill joy among a congregation particularly. Look what he says in verses 3 and 4, the same chapter 2. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So he's saying, man, make my joy complete. Keep walking, keep going, keep loving each other, but be careful. Watch out for this. And two key phrases we're going to look at, selfish ambition and vain conceit. They're similar, but they have a little different shade of meaning. He's saying, watch out for these joy killers. So let's give a little modern spin on these phrases. For selfish ambition, let's call that living to impress. I'm wanting people to be impressed with what I do. I'm thinking about how I look way beyond just getting ready and leaving the house in the morning. I'm always thinking, what do people think about me? I'm always concerned about that. I'm trying to impress others. When I say stuff, I want to sound smart and all that. And there's a human level where, sure, that's okay, but this, I'm talking about going beyond, you know, a person being obsessed with impressing other people. Here's a good question. Or do I want to save that good question for later? Yep, no, we'll have it here. (laughs) Whose opinion matters the most to you? Whose opinion matters the most to you and why? That's, that's a good question to think about while I take a little sip here. The next joy killer 
is living for the applause. Similar to living to impress, but a little, little different. This is not wanting just for people to look at me and be impressed, but people actually express that impressive, impressed state of mind they have about you. Oh, you're great, patting on the back, just going crazy, 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 how good you are. And a person who's obsessed with the need for approval. And, and this has affected our culture, and we've got a little video from a current commercial on TV to show you about this. <laughs> I love that commercial. But it's our culture. You know, everybody gets a participation trophy. Little Johnny, you did great. Little Johnny can't even touch the ball when he tries to kick it. But he gets a trophy because we want him to feel good about himself. And, of course, you know, there is importance for self-esteem for kids. I'll, I'll, we all get that. But we've gone a little far, haven't we? <laughs> we've kind of gotten carried away as a culture with this living for the applause, this need for approval. Here's, here's the example that's the most current in our culture. Here it is. The selfie. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and grab your phone. We're going to have some fun this morning. Here's how you define a selfie. Here's a great definition I found about it. It's a self-portrait made with a handheld device, usually at a tilted angle. And that's always true of me. I can't, I can't ever get them real straight. So here we go. Everybody grab, grab, grab your phone there. We're going to do a selfie. And uh, Chad was helping me this week because... Well, I'll go ahead and say he's a little more experienced at this than I am. And so, <laughs> yeah, well, here's, here's also something else that's funny about selfies. You know, us old guys kind of, you know, make fun of the younger generation for being so self-obsessed. Online, over 25% of all selfies have been posted by people who are over 45 years old. So we're, we're just as self-absorbed. Who are we kidding, you know? All right, so Chad was coaching me, and he said I ought to do a, you know, like that. And so I was practicing. I went, wait a minute, that's, that took them horns. I, I went to Baylor, for goodness sake. I'm a Baylor bear, so it's more like the Baylor bear claw and, and sickle bear. So everybody, you do your selfie while I do mine. And my first service was blurry. It was ugly. But, okay, get your selfie. You ready? Go. Let's see. How did I do this time? Oh, that's better. All right, Chad will be impressed. I did better. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you really want to see that on the website. I want to share some cultural trends with you guys. These are things that aren't new, but these things are growing at a rapid rate, reflecting how our culture is becoming more and more possessed with approval and self-approval and being obsessed with that stuff. Here's one. Preoccupation with self. An attitude that I live above the rules. The rules don't apply to me. Inability to take criticism. Ouch. I feel bad that you criticize me for not being able to take criticism. A refusal to take responsibility or commit. Unilateral listening. I had to look at that one hard. That means I'm listening to you just long enough till you say something I want to comment on, then I want you to shut up so I can talk. Unilateral listening is growing in our culture quicker to anger than ever before. If you drive to Houston during rush hour traffic on the highways, what do you need to be careful for? Help me out. What's it called? Road rage. I mean, you got a gun, take it. If you're going to Houston, just so, you know, no, don't, don't say I did that. 
But I lived in Houston, and oh my gosh, for years I, I, I lived there, and I had a job where I drove every day, and it, I'm telling you, they're crazy people. But it's anger, it's impatience, because you're getting in my way. It's, it's getting worse and worse in our culture. We're becoming a culture of narcissists, people who are just so unhealthily self-absorbed. Here's what's growing, anger, anxiety, depression. These are all symptoms of being too self-absorbed, and please don't hear me wrong. There's plenty of reason to be struggling in life, and there are people who depression is a battle, and, and, and they need help with that, maybe need to take medication. We're not saying that's wrong, but we're saying these things are just rampant in our culture, and they're getting worse, and a big part of it is because we're so self-absorbed. It's natural as humans to want to be more and more self-focused, but it ends up in these bad things. God has a supernatural answer for us. It's different. That is healthy. And we're going to look at that this morning about joy. We're going to look at Jesus. Paul goes on in this chapter and gives this awesome description of what Jesus did. And I want you to be looking for what Jesus did and where his focus was rather than being self-absorbed. Okay, you'll pick it up. It's real clear. These are verses 5 through 11. Paul says to the folks there at Philippi, In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything, but he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. But he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He was born as a man and became like a servant. And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God, even when that caused his death, death on a cross. Wow, look how Jesus did it. We're told in this passage, he was God, and yet he didn't use being God for himself. He chose willingly to let go of that and to come and become a man on earth for you and me. And if that wasn't enough, he was willing to die a death on the cross for the sins of the world so that you and I could have a relationship with God with our sins forgiven because of Jesus. That's what he did. He became, and then we have a term for it we're going to use today, he became a servant. So instead of the one who's worthy to be served, he came to serve us. What an example he gave. Now, I'm going to go on with this passage because I want you to see what God did now for him. When Jesus chose the place of the servant, God responded to him, and we're going to see how God does that for us as well. Look what God does. So God raised him to the highest place. God made his name greater than every other name. So that every knee will bow to the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and everyone will confess that Christ, Jesus Christ, is Lord and bring glory to God the Father. That's what God the Father did for Jesus because he was willing to humble himself and be a servant and step down, God lifted him up. And every person who ever lived or ever will live one day is going to say, Jesus really is the Son of God. That's what God did for Jesus. But Jesus had to first take the place of a servant. So this leads us to our key to joy today. Here's our key. Develop a servant's heart. Develop a servant's heart. It's counterintuitive because we're talking about you and I living in the joy God has for us. And you would think, okay, so what do I do for me to be more joyous? Well, this is focusing on others. And you know where I'm going. It's pretty clear. We see from the passage about Jesus, joy becomes a byproduct of servanthood. 
It's, it's a beautiful thing, and we're going to look at it some more. This is so important to see Jesus as our example. There's another place in Scripture that it's discussed. We're going to hop over to a different book in the New Testament named Hebrews and look at what we can see here about Jesus. All right? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this. This is the message translation. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. A little different description of the same thing. Jesus chose that servanthood, and we're told how he did it. He had his mind set beyond the serving. Because serving sometimes isn't fun, you know, just serving people and doing things for people. I mean, sometimes it's just, you know, it's not thrilling what you're doing, but this mindset is, is where it works. Jesus was looking beyond that. He was looking at the result his serving was going to bring. The result of what he did is me and you here today. <laughs> and thousands and millions and millions of believers coming to God because of what he did. So you could say this, joy, looking for future joy by being willing to serve, kept Jesus on the cross like this. Suffering like he was, he was Looking down the road, I love the phrase here, he never lost sight of where he was headed. He knew that this obedience to God, this serving, this humble, painful serving was going to bring great joy. So let's make this practical. How can we begin to experience this kind of a joy that's a, really a byproduct of serving others? Number one, go all in with God. You won't last very long wanting to serve others and just doing it on your own strength, saying, okay, I got to be nice. I, gotta, you know, I can't kick the dog today. You know, It's, it's going to take a lot more than just your determination and strength of your own will. It's going to take God and his help to do this. And so we've got to go all in with God. And we're going to see now what I mentioned earlier, how God empowers us to do what he wants us to do, right? Let's read on. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Dear friends... You always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Paul is saying, guys, keep going. Keep going. God is working in you. He is making you have this different heart and attitude as you're cooperating with him. It's an awesome thing. It, there's a real cool little word phrase here where it says to work hard in the original language. The picture is like somebody in a gold mine. Okay, so picture I'm in a gold mine and you know how a, a gold mine is on the wall. There's just this little vein that's gold colored and you know that means there's gold here. And what miners do, they just keep digging and they dig out that vein and hopefully it gets bigger and bigger and they just have a huge find, right? But it takes hard, hard work. They have to keep digging hard, keep swinging the pickaxes and work hard, hard, hard to get that, that precious treasure out of the ground. Well, God is saying to us, hey, go all in with me. Give it all you've got. I will strengthen you. I'll do it. But you've got to go all in with me. You've got to work hard, so to speak, to let me do this in you. It's kind of a paradox. God does it, but I work hard with him. I cooperate in a very strongly intentional way. Now, here, here's this cool phrase at the end. Look here. 
God is working you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So it's God who's putting it in your heart to want to live this way. Deep down, deep, deep down. Sometimes we don't feel it very much, but it's in every person. Deep down, you and I were created for something beyond ourselves. You were created to have a significance in this world. You were created to influence people for good. You were created to make a difference. It may not make the headlines. You know, most people's lives, nobody ever knows. But God put that in us. And so this scripture says God is giving you the desire. That's God in you, wanting to go all in with him, wanting to have a joy that's beyond yourself. So God is giving you the desire and the power to do it. So I'm like, God, here I am. I'm all in. You've got to empower me, though, because servant ain't me. <laughs> Being other-focused, no, that's, that's not me, but I'm going to trust you, God. Here I am. I'm willing to engage and, quote, work hard at this. There's a, a pastor that Chad and I like a lot. His name is Robert Morris. And let me tell you Robert's story real quick. Robert, when he was a young man in his 20s, was speaking to tens of thousands of teenagers at these big conferences. I, actually, I attended one when I was a kid, and uh, he probably was a speaker. We figured out the date the dateline one day. Anyhow, as a young man, he was working in this denomination, and they're like, we only want you to speak at our big statewide conferences across the country to 20, 30,000 students. So he was the guy. Well, God began to work in his life and began to lead him in a new part of his spiritual journey, and it was going to require him to, to go to a different kind of church and begin to learn new things about the Lord. And so he went to these people, and they knew who he was. He had dropped in the church a couple times, and he said to the leadership, hey, I feel like God's drawing me this way, and, and I want to come in and just say, here I am. I've got a call to ministry. I preach to thousands, but, but I feel like God's calling me to walk this way spiritually. And they said to him, really? He goes, yeah. They said, you really, you really want to go, go this way, the way we're walking and believing and, and, and the way we do Christian life and the way we do ministry? He said, yeah, yeah, I do. They said, okay, then quit right now. Take this phone, call your boss, quit. He's like, uh, you don't understand. I got five things lined up this summer where I'll be speaking to probably 100,000 kids. Totally. They're like, hey, you want to come with us or not? He's like, but, but they're like, hey, we, we get it. We know that's cool what you're doing. But if you're going to go with us, it's going to require you to lay it down for a while. And he says, so, so when do I start? They're like, there's the phone guy. And then he says, okay, so, all right, so I won't be preaching 1,000, so uh, what are you going to do here? Are you going to help me? You're going to have me work with the youth here or whatever? You know, what, what's going to be my job here at this church? They said, well, we'd like you to start cleaning toilets. Preaching to thousands, cleaning toilets. And he said, anything else? They said, no, no, that'll be it for, to start with, just cleaning toilets. Well, how long will that take? Oh, we don't know. So you're telling me, lay it all down, start cleaning toilets, and no promises, no nothing. They're like, Take it or leave it. We appreciate you. We get it. But if you're going to come our way, it's all in. And I praise God, Robert said, okay, all in. His books are all over the world now. He's on television now. He has a church in Dallas that has multiple campuses, probably 20,000 congregation. But he had to clean toilets. And then over the years, God raised him up. Isn't that a cool story? And today he'd say, I'm so glad I started cleaning toilets. <laughs> I'm so glad I was willing to lay it down. All right, let's look at another principle. Number two, take a genuine interest in others. We're going to look at a couple of Paul's friends now and see what we can learn about these guys. First off, it's going to be Timothy. 
chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, Paul said this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everybody looks out for his own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Saint, I mean, people have always been this way, right? But Paul is saying, I've got this guy, Timothy, who was his assistant, who later became a pastor himself. And Paul wrote in some letters we have in the New Testament called First and Second Timothy. Well, at this point, Timothy's just on the road and helping Paul out. And Paul is saying to the people in Philippi, hey, I want to send Timothy to you, especially because he has a genuine interest in your life. This word genuine means it's a person whose actions match their words. They walk the talk. So he was the guy who's always with Paul saying, hey, we didn't get another letter from Philippi, did, did we? You know, heard anything about the Philippians? Or they'd be praying together, and Timothy, his heart would just go toward Philippi across the Mediterranean Ocean from Rome, and, and he'd pray for the people in Philippi. And so Paul is saying, this guy has genuine interest in you. He walks the walk of caring. So I want to ask you just to think a little bit about your life, okay? You have a sphere of influence your people, your family, your friends, those folks you associate with regularly, that's a challenging place to not be selfish, isn't it? Because after all, you love these people and you serve them all the time. You deserve, come on, give me back, give me back here. But these are friends. God says, hey, if you'll let me, I'll show you how you could be a servant to these folks and get beyond having to get back. I mean, think about how big a deal selfishness is just in family. What do we teach little Johnny and Susie to do when they're growing up? Share your toys. Because selfishness is in their beautiful, sweet little hearts from the very beginning. You don't have to teach them. Now, let me show you how to be selfish, Sonny. I don't think that lesson's ever, ever happened in history. I, I might could have hit on something there. That could be unique. So in our family and our friends, you have a chance to be a servant. How about not just your people, but your place? Where, where are the places you live? You've got a neighborhood. You've got a workplace, possibly. You've got places you do things you know what about these places God has these places where you can be a servant and look out for others and do things for others and then you've got passions you've got things in your heart where you regularly do stuff it might be golf or exercising at a gym or whatever but you go and and you're doing something that's passionate in your heart and other folks are there the same way and and these are people you can have a friendship with and these are people you can serve and give to. It's already going on. You don't have to look around and try to figure out where can I serve. It's there. You just got to say, God, show me, you know, help me. And, and here's a couple of things that, that, that help us just to get really practical with other people. Find a need and fill it. Find a need and, and fill it. Or find a hurt and try to help heal it. You got people in your lives with needs and, and some of them you can help. And you've got people in your life who, who have hurts and disappointments and emotional hurts or physical uh, issues or whatever. And, and you can help bring healing to that if you'll just take the time. Here, here's a tough question, man. I, 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 it's always painful for me to say this because it, it's so much me. But here, here it is. It's a good question. How easy is it for somebody else to interrupt your life? Yeah, that's how the first service was, too. <laughs> it's deathly silent. I'm telling you, sometimes I'll have people say to me, Ed, I, I, I'm sorry to bother you, or I hate to interrupt you. And I'm like, oh, I'm there again. I'm all focused on me, or I'm too intense, or I've got my game face on, and, and somebody wants to talk to me, but they're like, oh, okay, Ed, can I talk to you? You know, I don't want to be that guy. I mean, yeah, we're all busy and got stuff, but, but I want to be the guy like, hey, can I talk to you? Sure, what's up? 
And, and as much as I can, I, I can lay down my stuff and let go and, and try to focus on a person who might have a need I can fit, a need I can meet, or have a hurt I can help heal. It's a great question. It kills me every time I share it. Here's one last principle. Live a life of intentional relationships. We've talked about these people around you and being uh, aware where they have needs. This is taking it a step further with relating to people in a real intentional way. Look at this new guy that Paul introduces to us. He says, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. See these guys loving each other? So Philippi, the church there, had sent Epaphroditus to Paul, probably in Rome where he wrote the letter from prison. And Paul is saying, hey, man, y'all sent him with a gift to help meet my needs. I want to send him back to you. And look how he describes him. That's what I want you to see. He says he's my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. We need brothers and sisters. We need relationships like this. Somebody who you're both trying to follow God. You're both trying to grow in your relationship with God. And it takes time. You have to be intentional to develop a brother or a sister relationship. And here at Ignite, we do that with small groups. This is, you know... A bunch of people. You can't know everybody in this room really well. I can't, and I get full time to devote to it. I, I just can't know everybody really well. I can know everybody a little, but I can know some pretty well. Well, in small groups, that's where you get to know people well. And in June, we're going to resume our Wednesday night thing where we come and eat and split up in small groups, men, women, kids. And it's a great time to get closer to brothers that we can live life with and grow in and serve each other like we're talking about. Look what else Epaphroditus was. He was a fellow worker. Paul is saying, my, this guy you sent, man, he's in. He, he's in the kingdom stuff. Y'all sent him to help me, and he's been a great help, and I want to send him back. But we're fellow workers. And the happiest people in a church are those who are serving, those who are volunteering, those who are doing something to ignite. We call them our ignite crew because we're serving together. We're fellow workers. And then third, he called him this. He said, my fellow soldier. Now it's getting intense because this is beyond a close friend. And even somebody that I'm working with, this is a guy who'll jump in that foxhole with me when the bombs are falling around me, when life is tough, when I feel like I'm a target of the devil, and it's just wham, wham. I, I'm, I'm in a bad way. I'm in a bad place. And this is a guy I can call up and say, hey, can I just throw up on you right now? And he's like, let it rip, bro. Just go. Well, look what the boss did. Look what the wife, the kid. I mean, you just bleh. You got somebody like that? Are you that person for somebody else? Boy, we need that person who I can just be real and just all my garbage, just throw up when I need to. We need that fellow soldier. I believe we all need at least one, and if you're married, two. And here's why I say that. Your spouse is great, but I think a man needs a man, too. And a woman needs a woman beyond their spouse to just be able to really, really get real. So we can help and serve each other. So guys, as we embrace this lifestyle of a servant and do like Jesus and be willing to let our stuff go and help others and we begin to get a little taste of this joy of seeing God use me to help others and be a servant to others, there's a promise for us. At the end, towards the end of this chapter 2, look what Paul says. This is so cool. In verses 14 and 15, he says this, Still encouraging them to be positive, right, and joyous. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing so you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. 
Our culture is self-obsessed. But when living like this, we become stars. We, we stick out. We stand out. People will say, what's up with you, man? Every time I turn around, you're helping other people, and you got the biggest smile I know. Well, you know, I've learned that if I just trust God and just let him worry about me, then I can serve others, and, and I'm just full of joy. And people will scratch their head and shake their head, but they'll take notice because your, your life shines. You stick out. You're not totally self-obsessed like our culture is. One last verse, and we're going to wrap it up. In another book of the Bible, a guy named Peter wrote to people who were suffering. Life was tough in a general sense for these people. So he wrote to them, and look what he says to them in verse Peter chapter 5, verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So here's our final point today. We humble ourselves, and God lifts us up. Jesus humbled himself as a servant. God lift him up to that great place. God does that in your life and my life because we, we have a, a need to matter. Our needs matter. Our lives matter to God. And he's asked us to take a step of humble faith and saying, I'm willing to put the needs of others first. Now, you might be somebody here today that you realize you don't have a relationship with God yet, but you want to. Something's been stirring in your heart. God's been doing stuff. And you realize you're ready that today you could say yes to Jesus. Well, here's what you could do today. You can ask God to forgive you of your sins, to let those just go away from you. I love the scripture. It describes that God says our sins are like from the east to the west. He removes them. So he can forgive you of your sins. He can fill your life. We sang earlier about his presence. And I just love that, that God's presence can fill our life. And then finally, he can become your best friend. He wants to be your best friend, your guide, the one who leads you in the life Jesus came for you. And that can start now and last forever. I love to say eternity starts now. We're living in eternity now if we have this relationship with God. So in a moment when I dismiss us, if that's you, come on up to our prayer teams. They'd love to pray with you. And you can take in just a few moments, you can say, God, come into my life. Forgive me. Become my best friend. Fill me up. And you can walk out changed and live a new eternity. Also, as we said earlier, these teams will be here to pray for any other need you might have today. Okay? Y'all stand up. Let's be dismissed. Lord Jesus, we just are amazed at you. God choosing to let go of being God, to come be man, to die for me and everybody in this room. That just amazes us. And yet we see how you help us understand you did it for the joy before you. You knew what was going to come. And Lord, as, as people in a culture that's self-obsessed and very human people today who can be so self-absorbed, we just say, God, help us. Help us. We recognize you put the desire, and we ask you now for the power to really become a servant. Lord, this week, this week, Lord, show us where we can be a servant to those around us. Show us needs to fill, hurts to heal. Lord, bless these people with your joy, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.